Father, we are grateful that even though we destroyed Eden, it was our fault. You have entered our world. You have come to El Paso, to the streets of Philadelphia, to the homeless, heroin shot up people in L.A., and then to our own messes in this very worship center. You've come. And to every sinner, to every weak and vulnerable, flawed man, woman, child, teenager, you say, I can make you new. I am making you new. I think that's the deal today, God. Some of us are struggling to believe that you are making us new, all things new. That yesterday's pain is tied to tomorrow's blessing. You have not forgotten, you have not forsaken, you are making all things new. So I pray the result of our singing and our praying, our preaching and our gathering would be a rediscovery, a new and renewed belief. We have the greatest message in the world and all the powers of darkness are trying to persuade us to not believe it, to not speak it. But I pray today we'll believe it again and we'll speak it again and whatever it takes, we'll transport it to the ends of the earth, to your poor, to your suffering, to your homeless. And they will find a home in the city of God, in the heart of Christ, in the hope of glory. May sinners be forgiven. May the despairing be filled with peace. Marriages renewed. May the I'm sorry's that should be given pour out of our mouth. Humble us so we can receive the river of newness. That is one prayer away. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you may be aware, within the past four weeks, two prominent Christian leaders in this country have not just fallen away from the faith, but have done so so loudly and so publicly that they have drawn, really, others with them. Joshua Harris was the first one to say, I no longer believe in Jesus Christ, prominent author and pastor. And then this past week, Hillsong writer, many of the tunes that we sing here from his pen, Marty Sampson said, I no longer believe in the Savior of Jesus Christ. Departures from the faith have always occurred. They will always occur. Jesus the Apostle Paul said in the end times, apostasy will be rampant. So we're not totally shocked that apostates are being raised up in new numbers. But what surprises us about these two over the past three weeks is how vocal and how public and how loud they were in their departure. Everybody who fills this position of spiritual leadership in a church, understands the susceptibility and the possibility of emotional and spiritual burnout. It's not too far of a neighborhood from everybody who tries to lead. Fatigue sets in. 
So you look at these men who've left and you say, well, they're just fatigued. No, they're different than that. They're not emotionally burned out because they seem to have more energy than ever to say to the watching world through social media, not only am I rejecting Jesus, but I encourage you to rethink him as well. It seems like a deliberate desire to draw others out with them as they leave the faith. They have a strange confidence for them to say for 20 or 30 years, I knew the way, and now I don't know that way anymore. That would be humbling to me. That would be embarrassing to me to the point that I would rethink about telling anybody, now I know a new way. But they've gone from 20 years in that direction to now overnight saying, I have a new way. It's a miracle when you think about it that the church ever survives and has survived for 21 centuries. If you've been in church leadership, you'll, you'll understand it's a miracle that you're here today. A miracle by God's grace that he has done just that for 21 centuries. God's leaders, the vulnerable and frail, not strong, he has kept them from quitting. He has kept them from falling away. Many days of their life, they went to bed tired and they woke up afraid. But despite all that came against them, leader after leader, servant, volunteer after volunteer, did not walk away from the faith and has signed up to once again influence their generation for God. There are three books of the Bible, of the New Testament, written primarily for leaders to encourage them not to fall away. We call them the pastoral epistles because they're written to pastors. One in particular that we looked at three weeks ago and I want to look at today is a book written to a leader named Timothy, written to him by the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we find six principles that will guide you in your desire to influence your generation and to not fall away into apostasy. Let me just read the passage as a whole and then we'll cover some of those principles. 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Pass it along. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The last time we were together, of the six principles, we looked at three. Just for the sake of gaining some momentum, I will just briefly mention them. Three of the six principles for, for not falling away as a leader in this generation. Number one, work hard with Christ's supernatural help. Number two, live to strengthen new generations of Christ's followers. And we saw this three weeks ago. Number three, suffer patiently as you work in Christ's kingdom. Today, we'll continue and we'll look at principle number four, leading without falling away to apostasy. Number four, dwell upon truth until it changes you. I love how Paul says this. Think over... What I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, when you read 2 Timothy, you need to remember you are to, you're, you're listening to a veteran. I think three weeks ago I said, like an old lion that's been in many fights, 
training a little new cub not to be afraid and timid. So Timothy pastoring the church of Ephesus, cosmopolitan, corrupt city, frightened, vulnerable, easily knocked off his confidence. And Paul writes to him, like a pep talk for a weary, fatigued soldier, don't fall away. That's the tone of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And here's his principle number four. Think about what I have said to you, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, when Paul says, think about what I've been talking to you about, Timothy, he's not trying to say, think about this very hard, complicated lesson in physics that I want you to understand, this microbiology equation, this, 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 this uh, very vast, hard, complex thing to grasp. No, what he's saying is, I want you to understand, Timothy, what I've been trying to tell you. God's way of moving his kingdom along is through suffering. And God is good when he chooses to do it through suffering. And he will reward those who suffer. And he will connect every bit of your suffering so that none of it is wasted. And so now he's telling Timothy, think about that until you believe it. The difficulty is is not understanding the Bible. The the difficulty is not letting our emotions rule over that which we read in the Bible. Eternally reliable truth in the Bible, not hard to understand, but what is hard is not living by emotions over truth. The reason that these Men and others will fall and are falling is they have led for a generation where emotion was supreme over truth. Guided crowds by emotion. Probably live their own life by emotion. Anytime you live emotion over truth, you will not hear what God is saying. It's time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word of God that it reigns over all of our feelings. So basically what Paul is telling Timothy, wrestle with truth until it transforms your mind. If you've been here for 16 years or you've been here for your first week, you'll understand this is the way we teach Sunday after Sunday. Truths out of the scripture would make you think and make you wrestle because you will not live through apostatizing times, you will fall away until you learn how to wrestle with truth until it transforms your mind. If you were a Jewish person or a Jewish person, I already know your favorite verse in the Old Testament. It's the favorite verse of all Jewish people. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, and 5. It's called the Shema. Every good Jew knows this verse by heart from their youngest years. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was asked what is the greatest commandment in all of the scripture? What did he do? He quoted the Shema. And so when you look at that, you might be tempted to say, what is the command in the Shema? You might be, I've, all my life I said the command is love God with all your heart. Until this week I noticed that there was one command before the great command. 
listen. Listen. We love God by listening to God. So the command is first not to love Him. The command is first to listen to Him. If you're not saturating your mind with truth in corporate worship and personal reading, you will make your decisions based on your feelings. And here's, here's what our soft generation does now. Well, because I feel this way about this decision, I assume God also feels this way about this decision. So our lives are run by feelings. If you listen to your emotions, you will abandon God. If you listen to God's voice, you will not depart. Earlier this week, um, Yako and I went just up the road to the, the best Philly cheesesteak sandwich there is outside of Philadelphia at The Real Deal. I don't know if any of you have eaten at The Real Deal, but this brother who owns it is a pastor and I, I do go there for the food, but I also can't wait to ask him, what has God been telling you lately? And this is what he told us this week. He said, I got a new prayer in my life. He said, I'm a pastor, so I spend my life talking. I need to start talking less and listening more. And so he said, this is my prayer. God, give me big ears. Give me big ears. That's the tone of what Paul is telling Timothy. Keep listening to God. Don't ever listen to culture because the culture is never listening to God. So how could you ever make a right decision by listening to a generation of people who are not listening to God but are listening to their feelings? So that's principle number four. Dwell on truth until it changes you. Principle number five. Remember the sympathy and triumph of Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 8. I have a feeling that's going to stay there forever the rest of the service. Not sure why that's doing that, but we'll be all right. Ah, thank you. 2 Timothy 2, 8. Remember Jesus Christ. So let's get the principle again. Remember the sympathy and triumph of Jesus. If you want to lead your generation, not fall away, Remember the sympathy and triumph of Jesus. So Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. Now you might look at a verse like that and you say, well, that's a technical verse. It's filled with references to the Jewish king David and maybe a brief apologetic for the resurrection. You say that sounds so technical, and it's not technical. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing only 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, and already people had begun to deny these two things about Jesus, that he wasn't fully human, and he didn't rise from the dead. This was attacked. Truth was attacked. And Paul said, Timothy, I want you to base your, I want you to base your leadership on truth Jesus was fully human, could trace his ancestry back to King David. He fulfilled every prophecy in the Old Testament written about him because he became a human. Son of God became human, and he also was raised from the dead. 
But I have a feeling that Paul did not tell this to Timothy just for the sake of imparting technical, theological, uh, apologetic, helpful information to fight the resistance movement of the false teachers. I have a feeling he was telling Timothy, when you feel like a frightened soldier, remember the captain of your salvation whose hands and feet have been pierced as evidence of his love for you. Remember Jesus, Timothy. Remember the river of blood that flowed out of his body in order to make you a child of God, even though you were once an enemy of God. Remember Jesus, how much the world despised him and harmed him, and yet how God exalted him to the right hand of the throne of the Father. Remember Jesus, whose sympathetic eyes watch over you every moment of your day and every moment that you sleep. The eyes of Jesus are upon you right now. Remember Jesus, who will soon come from heaven and gather you with all the church around the world to bring you home. Remember Jesus. Major principle for leadership to not fall away. I love what Paul says next in part of that point. This is my gospel, Jesus. Life, perfect life on earth, resurrection dead, resurrection from the dead. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Now when Paul says this is my gospel, he's not meaning this is the gospel I made up. This is like this is my stuff. He's saying, I have sweat equity in this thing, Timothy. I don't just read about the gospel. I don't read biographies of those who suffered. I'm sitting in a prison cell right now because of my witness for Christ. This is mine. I own it. I own it with my life, with my giving, with my money, with my sacrifice, with my, su- my, 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 my suffering. I own this gospel that owns me. It's interesting how Paul had to defend himself so often when he said here, I'm suffering enough to the point of being chained like a criminal. One of the ways people tried to discredit the character of the Apostle Paul is they would say, if God's life, if God's favor was on Paul, he would not be in jail all the time. Sort of an American gospel. If you are serving the Lord, it will go well for you. Travel outside the states and you'll see that that doesn't preach well around the world. Sometimes things become really hard because you are following Jesus with all your heart. So Paul was in prison not because anything was wrong, but because everything was Right. You want to see a cool picture of the of victory in the Christian life? Right there. The Mamertine prison in Rome, you can we don't even know if that's the exact prison cell that Paul was in. Tourists certainly go there a lot. It's one like it. Beneath the ground, far beneath the ground, a hole cut in the sidewalk. Or in the street just enough for light to come in. And there the Apostle Paul sat for days and months and years chained 
to a Roman guard for the gospel. Paul is in prison, waiting to die, chained to a Roman guard, and yet he says, I didn't, I'm so sorry I forgot it. It's right after verse 9. He says, but the word of God is not chained. I'm chained. I'm going to be executed. But the word of God is not chained inside this prison cell. You know what happened inside that prison cell when Paul was chained? He wrote four major books of the New Testament that were distributed throughout the Roman Empire while he was in jail. You know what happened while he was chained to that Roman guard? Every day a new guard would come in and be chained to the Apostle Paul. And Paul would say, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? And that Roman guard would go home and tell his wife, I met a nut today who says that a son of God has come to earth to die for our sins. And his wife says, tell me more about this nut. And that Roman guard would talk to other Roman guards. And then he would get promoted and eventually make his way up through the Roman Empire, through the ranks, and have influence over many Roman guards. Because Paul was chained to a Roman guard. You know what happened when Paul was chained inside that prison? All the believers in the Roman Empire that heard about Paul's courage, that he didn't quit. It caused them to endure their own places of suffering with much more vigor. So the church grew stronger because of the witness of the apostle Paul in prison. Number six, our final leadership principle of how to stay strong, not apostatize as you lead your generation to Christ. Number six, take comfort in the church's gain through all your sacrifices. Maybe my favorite verse. I may have a new one next year. This is definitely 2019. Favorite verse. 2 Timothy 2.10 Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may too obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. If you read the New Testament, you're going to see the church is called by lots of names. Sometimes it's called a body. Sometimes it's called a bride. Sometimes it's called the chosen. Here it's called the elect. Precious word because it paints a picture of God going throughout the world to those who are homeless, without a spiritual home, without a spiritual father, and God going from here all the way to India, to China, to Pakistan, to England, and finding people who are disenfranchised, and God going and choosing and not letting them escape the greatest wonder and grace of all, and that is the opportunity to be saved by Jesus Christ and to one day see his face in all of its infinite radiant beauty and to live forever in the new Eden, the city of God. And Paul said, I will endure everything to partner with God in going throughout this world. What a statement. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation.
in Christ Jesus. Y'all didn't hear that, did you? <laughs> I'm wearing two. Which one should I turn off? Turn off the extra one. The extra one is being turned off. Willie, would you come here and do it for me? I got it. Paul says, in order for those people to be reached, brought into God's family, I will endure everything. Paul says the growth of the church is more important than his safety. The well-being of the church is more important than his personal success. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, what exactly does he mean by his willingness to endure everything? I'm going to show off my Greek skills. Do you know what the word everything means in Greek? Everything. (laughs) It comes from a Greek word, panta, which means all or everything. It's impossible to miss. Paul says, I will endure every hardship to watch this auditorium be filled with people coming to Christ. I'll endure anything to watch the nations come into the kingdom of God. Jews come to Christ, Hindus come to Christ, Muslims come to Christ and have a place in the eternal city of God beholding the perfection of the Son of God. Paul, what exactly would you do for the church to grow, for the nations to come experience? And Paul's answer would be, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. All accusations, all beatings, all incarcerations, all loneliness, he accepts them all. Because his desire for the scattered people of God, the sin-stained people of God, to become glory-seeing people. So three weeks ago when we were on this verse, I introduced the sermon by saying this. When a church hears God and responds by saying, whatever it takes, that church will be given great assignments by the Lord. Whatever it takes. It takes. I don't know if I can speak for everyone in this room, but I'm going to speak for myself. I want to be a whatever it takes guy. And it is my favorite verse. I know I can speak for Ronnie. It's his favorite verse. I want to be a whatever it takes guy, but so often when something comes along that is so massively inconvenient, overwhelming, frightening, intimidating, I begin to stutter in getting those words out of my mouth. I'll serve you whatever it takes. And I think I can speak for you. You would like to say whatever it takes, but there are moments in your life when you say, I don't know if I will endure all things. For the spread of the gospel. Well, I had one of those moments two Friday mornings ago where I wasn't sure if I was gonna, if I was going to say this verse. I was part of a perfect storm two nights before Lisa's on the couch saying, I can't move. Feel like something is crushing my bones, fever spikes to 102. 
headache is exploding. We take her to the ER. They put her on all sorts of stuff. And, and I'm just like, what is going on? And we never have had an answer. Just happened. Kept her sick for about a week. Unhappened. And lo and behold, she's better and back to full beauty now. So that was occurring that week. Then I had a specific leadership challenge here where I needed to solve something. I'd never had to solve this before. And the more I thought about it, the less confident I got and the more confused I got. And I just became discouraged, depressed. I can't solve this. Then that night, Thursday night, I get a call from one of my mother's neighbors in North Augusta. My mom no longer lives in her house. We hadn't sold it yet, but on the front door, they said on the front door of your mother's house is this big red sign said, this house is going to be sold for back taxes. And I handle my mom's finances. My brother handles taxes. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not pointing fingers. I called my brother. I said, did you pay mom's 2018 taxes? He said, I thought you paid mom's 2018 taxes. So just a few days away, mom's house is going on the block. So the next morning, I get in my car Friday, ride down to the Aiken County Municipal Building. And, and just absolutely just fussing the whole way. Pouting the whole way, like none of this stuff makes sense. I'm doubting that, that I'm definitely not saying whatever it takes. And after I left the Aiken County Municipal Building, I pull out. I'm at a stoplight, and beside me comes this truck. Saddleback. Saddleback. <laughs> I'm going to tell you one thing. God's a lot of things, but if he's one thing that he's not, he's not subtle. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Over the past three weeks, I've been reading a book called Not Forgotten. It's the story of the early Southern Baptist missionaries, 18 of them that have been forgotten. You've never heard of them. They served in the long the same time as Lottie Moon. You know her. You know no one else from that era. So I wanted to read the book because a friend of mine wrote it, David Brady, and it was 18 stories of people who live by the motto, whatever it takes. The first story was about John Lake. He grew up in Edgefield, South Carolina, he was appointed as a Southern Baptist missionary in 1903. For 20 years, he would serve as a general evangelist among the people of southern China who lived in the Sai region in the Pearl River Delta. In the early 1900s, an estimated one million lepers, lepers lived in South China. Contracting that disease meant immediate social death. 
and a very slow, gradual, physical death. They were the most despised and mistreated of all people. They'd been cast out of their communities, forced to live in isolation, grinding poverty. Yet the command of Christ to heal the sick and cleanse the lepers would not let John Lake go. He was determined to find a way to help them. Since 1910, John Lake had been making visits to lepers in the Delta region south of the Pearl River. He brought them food and clothes and Bibles and tracts, and they begged him, can you find us our own place to live with clean water? If we have clean water, we can fish. We can make our own life. Can you find clean water? After searching for many years, he discovered an island called Taikam. It was eight square miles in size, located three miles off the China shore, and it had a mile-long fresh stream of water growing, going right through it. And with the help of a friend from the United States, love it when God blesses businessmen, that they can bless the people of God, he bought the island. But before one leper could ever be treated there, John had to go clear the arrival of the lepers with those who dominated the island, and that was pirates, cruel pirates. John went and shared with great boldness the gospel of Christ and God's love of lepers. Later, John Lake would write, the pirates listened to the gospel and showed us many mercies. <clears throat> Eventually, there would be 50 buildings on the island of Taikam, a medical clinic as well. They grew vegetable gardens and raised poultry, sheep, goats, and hogs. There's some of the lepers that lived on Taikam. Another group waving to John Lake as he arrived again. All of the funds for the project came from businessmen in the United States who said, whatever it takes, we're going to give these lepers a home. Hundreds moved to Taikam and had a great life. John Lake wrote many poems in his life. I love the how this one ends. This is called Taikam. While robbers find the Christ upon the cross, speaking of the pirates, and lepers cleanse, forget their pain and loss. Because of a man who said, I'll do whatever it takes. Another story I read was about Charles Gallard, 1854, April of 1854, boarded a ship for the next four months, would carry him along with his wife Eva to China, where they would pour their lives into the Chinese people for eight years in the city of Canton, southern China, modern-day Guangzhou. On several occasions, they were forced to leave the city because of military conflict in the, reason, in the region. Charles said he found Chinese language to be very difficult to learn, but he gave himself faithfully to the task, and after several years of study, he lamented the fact that his sermons were only 45 minutes long because he gave out of words and gave out of energy. One of the most important strategies he employed was the the, the distributing of gospel literature. You see the books that we distribute every Sunday and the red pamphlets that called Euangelion because we believe in the power of literature distribution. 
He begged the church to pray because he said, unless the Holy Spirit moves upon the Chinese people, no books, no tracts, no, two, no two, New Testament, no sermons will open their eyes. Pray. In 1860, he had his first breakthrough. After six years, after six years of no fruit, finally in 1860, he baptized 37 Chinese men and women. Six years. Then in 1861, the Civil War broke out in the United States. And the Missionary Sending Board Agency sent out letters to all their missionaries. We're considering you bringing you home because of the instability of America during that time of the Civil War. This was John Lake's letter back to the board. If necessity should compel you to call home any of your missionaries, I beg that I may be the last. If you can find the funds to give me $300 salary, and $150 house rent, I will remain at my post as long as the Lord will permit me. I desire to live and labor here at least 25 years longer, if it be the will of the Lord. I have no desire of seeing America again. I am as happy and contented here as I could be anywhere on this side of heaven. And when I go to heaven, I do not want to go alone but to collect a whole army of people to go with me. God used him in South China because he lived with the motto of whatever it takes. The last story I would like to share today is in honor of, of a sister in the Lord named Sarah Rohr. Her father died in the military um, when she was nine years old. So her mother was uh, a widow and she was the only only, only, only child. Sarah publicly declared, de- declared her faith in Christ in 1855 when she was 20 years old. She was highly educated, talented in music, and proficient in foreign language. On August 3rd, 1860, Sarah and her husband John stood on a dock on the Sandy Hook Harbor in New Jersey preparing to board a clipper ship called the Edwin Forrest where they would sail to Japan to serve as the first Southern Baptist missionaries ever sent to Japan. She was 24 years old. As they prepared to board the ship, an unforeseen wave of emotion came upon her mother, and she begged her daughter, please don't go. Had given her permission and her blessing before, but now being a widow and a single and a mother of one, she begged Sarah, please don't get on that ship. Can you imagine the tension in Sarah's life? This was Sarah's response. Mother, with the exception of parting from you, this is the happiest day of my life. If we are lost at sea, Death will find us in the path of duty. The ship soon sailed away into the moonlight. Mary and her husband were never heard from again. The Edwin Forrest was lost at sea. Now at this point, I just want to close the message by reading from my friend David Brady's book. When I got to this chapter... I was thinking, oh my, David, how are you going to end this chapter? And these are his words that I cherish. The roars, Mary, 
and John. The roars never arrived, never preached one sermon, never led one person to Christ. They sank before they started. What could God have been thinking? Such a life was not fruitless. The greatest battle had already been won. Sarah had fully and happily surrendered all to Jesus. She died in the path of obedience. And with one quick step, crossed the finish line into the joy of her master. As Christians, we do not fail when our goals for Jesus are not reached. Read that again. As Christians, we do not fail when our goals for Jesus are not reached. We fail when we do not fully surrender our goals to Jesus. Are you on the path of duty to Christ? Or are you on the path of duty to self? In God's mysterious ways of working, Sarah's life and death may still bear fruit. If Sarah's commitment inspires you to step into the path of obedience to Christ, then that would be great fruit from her life. Sarah's not forgotten by God. And maybe Sarah will not be forgotten by you, though her body lies in the depths of the sea. She speaks a better word to us than many who have lived long lives of ease and earthly success. If this were your last day, would you be found in the path of duty? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these dear ones. Gave so much, gained so little on earth. Left so much behind in beautiful fruit of changed lives in China, Japan, and India, the West Indies, South America. Father, thank you that you inspired them, that you gave them a vision to always remember Jesus. They saw the scars on his hands and knew they could endure scars on their hands. They saw that Christ had left everything in heaven and therefore they could leave everything on earth. We thank you now, Lord, that Jesus is crowned with glory and so are they, crowned with the well done of Christ crowned with his touch of eternal satisfaction and crowned, Lord, with centuries of influence as the gospel continues to spread because they opened their mouth, gave their money, devoted their time, and even yielded up their life. I pray today that you would bring somebody to Jesus, that they would be ready if this were their last day they would die in the path of obedience. They would die in the path of faith, not rebellion, not disbelief. They would die in the arms of Christ. Lord, return our hearts, return our hearts to say to you, we will do whatever it takes.
Would you raise up a generation that are now willing to say, I will do everything for the sake of the elect, for those that God is working with around the world. I will go, I will give, I will pray that they may see the eternal beauty of the Son of God, the Father in heaven, and the Spirit of holiness. It is in the name of the triune God I pray. Amen.